Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Those in the Bible department open their Bibles. The rest of us open our electronic devices. Kind of an age thing. <laughs> I've taken the opportunity to preach this chapel because it's labeled Missions Chapel. And when I preach a missions chapel, it's not my desire that everybody go to Botswana, but that everybody be willing to say yes. Can I be a servant and call him Lord? A couple of weeks ago, Dr. Brock helped us revisit the subject of the wonder of God. And appropriately, he used an illustration on Mount Everest as the object lesson as to the greatness and the majesty of its size. He did so as a means of helping us see something beyond our realm of comprehension, of sheer size and the reputation of this mountain. Its reputation is that of being the tallest mountain above sea level with a height of about 29,000 plus feet. It's one of the most difficult to climb, was not climbed until 1953. It's a mountain where months of training is required. It's a mountain where costly venture, in that it takes tens of thousands of dollars, I think we were told up to $50,000. And it costs lives. Indeed, Mount Everest has earned its reputation, and rightly so. For today, I'd like to talk about another mountain that has very little reputation. I would say that very few of us, if any of us, know about this mountain. It is a noteworthy mountain without really any reputation among the notable mountains of the world. Mount Chimborazo is located in Ecuador, South America. It is within the Andes Range. It is a mountain that is the tallest mountain on planet Earth when measuring from the center of the Earth. Stands at 20,000 plus feet. It was climbed in 1880 compared to Mount Everest, 1953. It does not take tens of thousands of dollars to climb it or months of preparation. It has no reputation among the mountains of the world. In fact, in 1989, I had the opportunity to climb beyond the halfway point. <laughs> Think of it. When it came to mountain climbing, I chose to climb a mountain that no one knows about. It has no reputation. What does no reputation mountain have to do with today's sermon, today's lesson, today's listening opportunity? How does no reputation thought help me in my walk with God? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God thought it a robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Several substantive thoughts need to be given. The point of this verse is not bearing about talking about bad reputation that we don't want to have talked about, but rather about good reputation that we do want talked about. And I'll make the point even more clear Missional endeavors do not occur when the bearers of ministry are concerned about their reputation. Now, when I use the word missional, 
I'm not just speaking of missions as per career. I'm speaking about functioning as a Christian. By way of context, Christ's missional journey would not have occurred without the reality of Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 being intertwined in his life. And if I could be even more specific, there is no ministry apart from the evidence of the reality of Philippians 2, 7 in our lives. There's function, there's accomplishment, but there's no ministry. Two thoughts this morning that will hopefully help us grasp what I believe to be a great missional, and again, that word ministry, a great missional inhibitor within the lives of people like us who desire to love God and obey God, but wrestle with the ego of how we want people to think about us. Thought number one is what Christ did. He made himself of no reputation. Uh, Humans don't excel in this matter of good deeds not finding their way to being publicized. We crave it, we self-promote it, we publish it. This past week, after the global warming ice storm that came through Watertown, I came out to the parking lot to get the car ready to pick up my wife. And the windshield was covered with thick ice. So I started the car and allowed it to warm up. And while I was waiting, I decided to scrape off the windshield of a single lady staff member. But there was no one in the parking lot to see me doing it. And thus, my good deed of having done so did not find the good reputation column. As it stands, Katie Potter will never know that I'm the one that got frostbite. (laughs) Oh, I feel so good. I just worked on my good reputation. I did it. I did the very normal human thing of hanging on to, of adding to my good reputation, reputation. Every one of us don't know how, don't normally do this thing of making ourselves of no reputation. We are addicted to the image of ourselves. We are committed publicists for our own notoriety. We are so broken in the very mechanism that makes us keep our good reputation in the forefront. So what does it mean, made himself of no reputation? Before we define this word, let's look at what context or content of words are nestled next to this segment of verse 7. Here are some thoughts. Lowliness of mind. Looked not on his own things. Humbled himself. No reputation. He became a servant. Or what does it mean to make oneself of no reputation? It does not mean that one negates accomplishments. It means that the accomplishments we accomplish should not inhibit us from serving God. Philippians chapter 3, Paul addresses that with the accomplishments that he accomplished. And as he looked at the notoriety of his reputation, he said that is not valid in the ministry. Made himself a no reputation means specifically emptied himself or voided his reputation or neutralized his reputation, or made it of none effect, or emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Of every advantage, every privilege, every prerogative. That's not something that we normally do in a job interview. 
We want to publicize every advantage that we think we could have to get that job. And we promote self rather than what God has done in us. Make himself or made himself with no reputation is a word thought that is summarizing everything within this context that would help us understand how those within the original language heard it. How did they hear it? It was so un-Roman-like to do that. It was so un-Jewish-like to do that. It was so unhuman-like to do that. Though Christ did this to himself, and notice who Christ is, verse 6, who being in the form of God, which word should we highlight? I read this of some research. The word being is a word that is attempting to do all it possibly can to convey the thought of what someone has always been. So when he says that he made himself a new reputation, it was not at the cost of him saying, oh, by the way, I wasn't much of a God. I'm just part of the Trinity. This simple word is saying everything that he was before he became, he still is. And that God chose not to use his reputation. Literally, this God, choosing to make himself of no reputation for the sake of accomplishing something that only a servant could do. And no one can function in a servant capacity who desires to hang on to reputation. The only thing servants need to find a job is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Servants don't have reputations. My son preached here, I think it was last year, maybe it was this fall, from Luke chapter, chapter 7 on servanthood. It was within that section that the account, the, the narrative, the story speaks about a servant doing what was required of him and the, under, the inner or underlying subtle thoughts of, well, I wish I would have gotten faint. To which the, the answer is, how do you get thanked for doing what's required? It's like the genuineness of me thanking you for being in chapel. You look at each other like, it's required, Dr. Love. This is the largest group you'll ever preach to. Enjoy it. <laughs> to make oneself of no reputation is to assault everything there is within our broken identity. The Apostle Paul is using this paragraph to draw attention for the need of unity. And people who care about reputation don't care about unity. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And to that bedrock, he then enters chapter 2, where there is dissent. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy... Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. How is that going to happen? 
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. How's that going to happen? Look not every man on his own things, his reputation. And so here comes the mega illustration. And we recall and say, well, that's Jesus Christ. It's not fair to use him as an illustration. Well, later on, Paul uses Timothy. And Timothy's very regular. And then he uses Epaphroditus as people who embodied what is being illustrated here in verse 6 and 7. It is within this plea that is presented the overarching example of Christ. Remember when the disciples of John came to Jesus. John actually had sent him. They were related. And John said, we would like to know if you are the Messiah, if you are the Christ. Perfect opportunity for Christ to say, could I tell you about my reputation? Could I tell you, John, who I really am? When the men were come to him, they said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Let my life speak for itself. Not his credentials. Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is given. He didn't promote his reputation. And I say this cautiously because I am superimposing words in the life of God. He didn't say, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am He whom millions of our kind have waited for. I've arrived. Now, personally, I don't understand why He didn't. But then, would our acceptance of Him be by faith? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. When it comes time for you to fill out a resume, a portfolio for a job, how are you going to handle the promotion of self? I've seen enough pastoral resumes that are so inflated that you'd think they were applying to become the Pope. I've seen resumes that have been bullet points that encompass pages of themselves. Some of the organizations that I've seen listed in resumes are organizations that you have to pay to get into, like Who's Who in America. Who's Who aren't servants. I think we've got it wrong. Thought number one is what Christ did. He took upon, or he made himself a no reputation. Number two, what it did to Christ. Well, I am a senior in college. 
Do you realize how little you know? As a senior. Yeah, we have a plan here. We intentionally don't teach you much so that you stay for graduate school. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did not check that with the registrar first, okay? I'm a junior. Do you know the only ones that aren't allowed to say I am a freshman? Are freshmen. And the reason they're not allowed to say that is because we say it to them. Thought number one is what Christ did. He made himself of no reputation. Thought number two is what it did to Christ. He took on the form of a servant. As much as I wrestle with servanthood, I can't imagine God doing that. I have so little to bring to the table, and yet I strut leadership. God had the universe to bring to the table. This does not mean, by the way, that Jesus of Nazareth ceased to be God of heaven. This does not mean, as one writer put it, and I love it, dust was added to deity. He didn't subtract deity from himself. He simply added humanity to himself. It was not a deduction of, or a reduction of deity, but a restraint of deity. Servanthood does not lose personhood. Christ laid aside what would have inhibited him to accomplish what was required of him. I'm going to say that again. Christ laid aside what would have inhibited him to accomplish what was required of him, and that's the point I'm trying to make in this message. There is no missions, missional, missiology of any gospel orientation if we don't allow ourselves to walk through verse 6 and 7. There's name dropping. There's accomplishment dropping. We browbeat each other for what they're not doing compared to what we do. But there's not gospel missions occurring. The Bible says that God will share his glory with no one. Servants don't look for glory. So I say, Christ laid aside what would have inhibited him to accomplish what was required of him. I can't imagine using the word inhibited next to God. We in this room will have a very difficult time releasing the supposed aura of self and press the button of self-reputation, the very thing that strangles any attempt to be formed into a servant, whether it be career missions, this chapel, whether it be teachers, whether it be nurses, whether it be accountants, whether it be IT personnel, whether it be marriage, whether it be a person. Non-servant people have a real hard time living on planet Earth. You say, well, why is that? Because we're wired for servanthood. And so we're chasing everything to somehow bring us fulfillment by which nothing can except being a servant. Listen carefully. The promotion of our own reputation will always get in the way of considering to take on the form of a servant because we're too broken to find out where servanthood ends. Verse 9 of chapter 2, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. 
Most believers, many believers, will spend their lives attempting to climb the Mount Everests of life because they would never consider the Mount Chimborazo experiences that bring so little reputation. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny any merit to his reputation. The stranglehold of service to God is and always will be what we think of our good reputation. In serving God in this capacity, will my good reputation be marred? Do we really want to do what God wired you to do? Then you're going to have to deal with a broken wiring harness that pretty much wants to keep your good reputation. Question. Has anybody texted Katie Parter yet? Say, why would you bring that up after a sermon that smothered us because we always will wrestle with it? Heavenly Father, thank you for your willingness to be a servant of servants who not only took upon him the form of a servant but died the common death of a servant, lived as a servant, taught wonderful truths from the perspective of servanthood, allowed us to see what it would do to a marriage to a dorm room setting, to a chapel setting, to how we listen to a message, to how we handle devotions, to how we handle if we're asked to lead fourth grade children in Sunday school. I pray that you'd forgive us. And we ask this in your name. Amen.